0: This is the DLR cast, the essential podcast for fans of Diamond David Lee Roth. All right folks, here we are once again right back at you at the DLR cast, the only all original, artisanal, all American, all natural, 100% no rival or artificial ingredients indeed. <laughs> the yep. DLR cast, the podcast by and for fans of the Diamond One Diamond David Lee Roth. I'm Steve as always. With me of course is the dangerous Darren Paltrowitz. <laughs> Darren, how
1: are you? I, I guess I'm pretty dangerous, so <laughs> I I guess that's a good thing. But either way, always great to connect. And uh, we're almost into spring now, almost,
0: almost. And, and yeah. you're back in New York after well, our last episode, you were live from Vegas. There to see Sammy Hagar, among some other things. You can catch our previous episode, the one right before this, with Frankie Lindia. We got some Frankie Lindia news on top of that, but uh, not a lot of Dave news. In fact, it's been a dearth of Dave news, if you will, which is tough for the DLR cast, but we'll we'll find news no matter what, including a great interview, which we'll get to in a second.
1: Yeah, with the Dave silence, I do what I can to ask around. and I don't want to stoke any rumors, but... The, the rumors I'm hearing, it's not that he's silent out of uh, marketing strategy. I hear he's silent because he's not doing anything and he's not exactly prioritizing his career, to put it a little more positively, like there's bigger fish to fry in his life right now. And I'm hoping these rumors are not true.
0: Well, we're not going to spread any rumors here, but I was just going to look up. I can't remember the last time. And of course, the algorithms of how Facebook feeds me things or Instagram yeah. feeds me things is one thing. But it's been a while since we saw, excuse me, a social media post.
1: Yeah, we saw that airplane meme around the time that the Russia-Ukraine thing started. That was the last one, right?
0: I think so. So, all yeah, quiet the- on the day front.
1: Absolutely nothing. But of course, the way that the algorithm works on the internet Uh, Do I get new, fresh Van Halen recollections every single day of the week? I do. Do, Does does your Facebook feed and and your recommended Google news articles, do you get a lot of Van Halen stuff? Well, you know what I get? If it's it's even tertiary,
0: if it's even Van Halen adjacent, which if it's got the Van Halen name in it somewhere, it shows up. So there's been a lot of news with Wolfgang of late. You know, I mean, the tour—he uh, canceled a bunch of tour dates because someone in the band, I guess, has got COVID. And um, uh, what was it? I forget. What was the tour? The Young Guns tour, I think it was. Yeah. The last six or seven dates. Uh, of course, he went. Did he? He went to. He went to the Grammys with his mom. Correct. I yeah. think. And and so I see things like that. But I mean, the only Dave stuff came up about when I just do a Google search was a month ago. Was you know the news hit couple weeks after we talked about it, David Lee Roth closing skincare line after $7 million investment. And then then an odd article showed up about a month ago as well, which I totally blew off. Uh, Daryl Hall confirms he was asked to join Van Halen as a replacement for David Lee Roth. So I'll let let that one lie right there.
1: Yeah. Well, I interviewed the week I should say a day or two before that one broke with Daryl Hall, I'd interviewed John Oates, who I've interviewed a few times. He's one of the nicest people imaginable. So I've heard. And I asked him a Van Halen question or two because I remember reading somewhere. It might have been that he told me in an earlier interview that Van Halen and Hall and Oates actually shared some crew members in the – Mid 80s and I asked him about that And he named some of the people It was like three or four different crew members So it's like Van Halen and Hall and Oates Couldn't go on tour at the same time Because they're sharing crew Like right. how Eric Singer for a while Was in Kiss and Alice Cooper So they had to check tour schedules <laughs> Rather than getting a new drummer Right So in that case yeah I I think it's possible that Daryl Holtz was on the shortlist Uh, for Van Halen, the way that we've heard that Pete Townsend was on the shortlist, the way that we heard that Eddie wanted to do a series of rotating vocalists with, uh, an instrumental bass of Van Halen. We've heard that Patty Smythe, uh, was properly auditioned and he sat in for a couple of gigs We've heard a lot of people who almost were in Van Halen. Yeah,
0: the Daryl Hall once, once from the actual story that I did see was when, you know, he was, Daryl said he was half joking, you know, and said he's got, you know, he, he came up to him, I guess, at a show or something with Valerie. And there's, like you said, there's been a number of people through the years. So why not add another one to the
1: list? Yeah. And then also when we look at the mid 90s Van Halen replacement for Hagar, you know, the average person, knows gary Sharon was in van halen right yeah the more obscure person will know that mitch malloy was performing with the band even fewer people realize that sass jordan was in the mixed uh that's something that she put out after eddie passed away yeah
0: there was that story on instagram that she did you know go to the house and hang out and met them and stuff and and uh patty smythe i know uh Steve Perry was mentioned was said in a 2020 interview that uh, Eddie asked him to come to Los Angeles and jam. I mean, so yeah, who knows what else will come out of the woodwork maybe. All
1: all the while with David Lee Roth having a couple of times where he was supposed to be back, but wasn't, you know, nine, we learned from the earlier episode with Frank Meyer that somewhere around Oh one Oh two with Michael Anthony in tow, they recorded a couple of songs. That was
0: a mind blowing. That was mind blowing. And, and uh, that was six years before the actual reunion.
1: Yeah. So all that said, I think that, uh, Eddie and crew were always looking at multiple options. I don't think that necessarily Sammy Hagar was the only person that they spoke with in 85, 86. It, the narrative has been framed a little differently, but I, I think he always looked at different options for things.
0: I wonder how, in the early two thousands, how financial considerations came into play with various things, like mm-hmm. the Hagar reunion tour. Was that two thousand one? Was that two, I think that was two thousand four?
1: Hagar or it was 04.
0: So maybe uh, the the second. Reunion that wasn't that nobody knew about with Dave in 2001 The I mean because that was a pretty empty time for van halen in the early 2000s And why do I not to spread any rumors or anything? But I do remember somebody making a joke a quote saying uh, After one of alex's divorces that right. where do we read that? Did somebody say this in a book or something that that was the why a certain tour came about or something happened or I mean I, I You forget the fact that financial considerations have to be taken into consideration for just about anything you're going to do at a certain point, right? I mean, because the money is immense depending on who's going to be in front of that band or even if it gets out at all back then.
1: Yeah, a lot of our favorite bands would reunite or regroup regularly because of one member being in Financial Dire Straits. The Who a number of times did it for John Enthwistle. Yes,
0: I've always read that,
1: yeah. Fleetwood Mac did it a number of times for Mick Fleetwood. And... Is it possible that they did it for Alex? I mean, there's rumors that Alex was always the true leader of Van Halen, making all the management decisions. Is that something that you've heard as well?
0: Uh, no, not in particular with that. I mean, it seemed like that they had some pretty, especially reading that Noel Monk book, at least back then. I mean, um, I mean, certainly, Al, I think Alex was a driving force, but I don't know if he was the final arbiter. Certainly, maybe not with Dave there, too. So...
1: I'm sure when Dave came back to the fold, he was more of a hired gun. Like yes, he was getting profits, but a lot of our favorite bands, when one or two members leave, they restructure the corporation. So, for example, when I had the pleasure, which <laughs> I talked about in an early episode about Motley Crue, reading through Vince Neil's bankruptcy filings, <laughs> uh, you you see that there was basically two corporations. Reference One was Nikki Six and Mick Mars, because neither of them ever left Motley Crue. And then there was the other one that was Nikki, Mick, Tommy, and Vince. In other words, these guys have all the voting rights, or most right. of the state. And then these guys, because they left the band and came back, waived some of that. Right. Now not saying that they didn't make the bulk of the money, or it wasn't equal split. It's just sometimes bands... There's voting rights depending on how long you were consistently in the band. So I'd have to imagine when Dave came back, it was like, sure, you can do the interviews, but uh, we're choosing the tour routing here, Dave.
0: What interviews? There were hardly any. And it makes me... I often wonder that, because remember, when Dave came back, Irving Azoff, manager of all managers, was managing Van Halen, I got to believe that the contracts that were signed to get everybody all in the same room, to get everybody all on the same stage, let alone a recording studio or different recording studios, basically, to get them together, the paperwork on that must have been the equivalent of a Donald Trump prenuptial. I mean, (laughs) we're talking hundreds of hundreds of pages with lots of penalties if things don't go a certain way. I mean, because... That really was the reunion of all reunions, even bigger than the Kiss reunion when you think of it, when, as far as th- this is, I mean, this was the equivalent of like when hell freezes over, pardon yeah. the pun for the Eagles, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody knew Kiss was not, maybe not everybody knew, but you always had the idea that Kiss was someday going to reform because they, there was always, especially after about six, seven years without the makeup. Mm-hmm. It was kind of, and, and Gene and Paul would occasionally never say never. And Gene would show up on, there was enough of a rumor mill building where at least by the late eighties, you know, when they, when they, when they did that video for rise to it from the hot and shade album, they got back in the makeup for a minute, Gene and Paul, yeah. they weren't necessarily, the door wasn't always completely slammed those last few years, but. Lord knows. I mean, at least for the from the outside, for the public on the outside, I got. A, I think that, especially after the the ninety six debacle, when two thousand seven came around, I don't know about you. My jaw hit the floor. I mean, this was like this was heaven. This was you couldn't believe this was gonna. Happen. I mean, in my heart of hearts, maybe it's like yeah, everybody gets older, maybe. But still, I often wondered because they it seemed like it just seemed like it was the last thing on earth that was gonna
1: happen. Sure. Well. I, I went down a rabbit hole because...
0: <laughs> you? Guess, You're kidding.
1: Yeah. <laughs> because of the algorithm. There was a video that popped up for me on YouTube that's two hours or so long. It's called like a Rothathon or it's some pun based on Roth and Marathon. And it's a timeline related to the mid-90s. Roth, will they, won't they rejoin van halen thing and this cracked me up because i never saw all of this if you don't mind a little diatribe here no. um, it basically starts off with the kurt loader MTV news thing about how Sammy hagar has been fired um there's rumors that David lee roth is recording one song with van halen you're like okay cool cool to see this and then it cuts to like clips of like allison chains and all these other bands like answering the roth hagar question like which do you prefer and you're like this is cool and then the next thing is it goes to a a vmas interview that kurt loader did with the band and i think we're used to seeing two different clips related to the vmas we're used to seeing them on stage with dave going this is the first time we've been on stage in 12 years right right Yep. and then we're used to seeing the press conference thing where they're all standing there backstage in front of the media and they're super showboating like right. the the media conference one but this had one that i never saw before which is them on that like elevated red carpet thing with Kurt Loder and you see basically the same question asked 3 times and getting 3 different answers which <laughs> is how did this reunion happen <laughs> And the first time they let Dave have the mic and he just gives the most nonsensical story there is. <laughs> he explains the reunion happened because he was in Florida and he watched a guy face plant off of a bike and have a near fatal accident. And uh, the guy said, Oh, that'll slap 1982 out of you. And then he got to thinking, let bygones be bygones. I'm going to call Eddie and see what's up. And like, and then that led to Eddie asking him to do a song. They ask Eddie at the press conference. He's like, yeah, Roth heard of, that Warner Brothers was doing the best of and called me and asked what was up with it. And you're like, um, those are different. <laughs> those stories. are two, right. In the same interview. Clearly they did. <laughs> same day. And, and then it goes to Howard Stern. Like. I guess Roth did one a couple of days after the VMA performance when he was still high on Van Halen. And then he did one maybe a week or two after, after yes. he wasn't going to be back. at Van Halen. <laughs> and like the story changes again. Like it's like, yeah, I called him up bygones beat bygones and I want to see how he's doing. And so we shouldn't be fighting. And then it's like, and then Eddie called me up and asked if I wanted to do, a song with them and so like he changes the story a few times in that alone and the more I'm reading the more i think we just don't know anything that ever happened in Van Halen.
0: which i'm happy with two things which that reminds me of and i want to go back to something i genuinely believe the 2007 reunion clearly everybody knew there was going to be some money involved with it but i don't think that was the driving factor it certainly didn't sound that way in the in the maybe the one or two interviews eddie did with guitar world or something it sounded like they really did get together and just it was a lot of just old time sake and eddie was in a much different space mentally physically physiologically you know as far as being clean and the other thing is that that was one of the things that was so refreshing about the 2007 reunion. If they never said why they got back together, maybe they were never asked. I got to believe. And you know, this as a journalist. If you got one of the rare interviews for that reunion tour, there was a whole field of things you probably weren't allowed to ask.
1: Yeah. So what you're saying about why they didn't do interviews, I rewatched the night, the 2007 press conference and One of the questions there is like uh, right away about Eddie's sobriety. And and then, like, there's another question about the sobriety. And they basically went, "Uh, we're not doing interviews. I'm not talking about this crap. And I have to agree with you that I don't think it was a purely money kind of thing. Because if we go back to the timeline here, 2006 was Roth Radio. And Roth, that that was supposed to be a long term thing. It wound up being like three, four months. He sued CBS Radio, and he walked away with a couple of million dollars. So, you know, just assuming Roth every year seven figures, eight figures of passive royalty income. Probably he had money. Eddie might have had a divorce. Same deal, passive income. Alex, well. He was still getting a third of the royalties from what they were signing away. What they made Michael Anthony sign away. He's making money, and Wolfie obviously did not need the money. I don't think it was a money play. I think it was a legacy reinvention thing, right? And I and I
0: think there is it was organic. Where the fact where when you especially when you read about when I read about this um, interruption and in other places after Eddie's death, where and and even Wolfgang brought it up, where they just started jamming together yeah, and let's give Dave a call. I mean, it sounded like Wolf's whole Van Halen upbringing for the most part was eighty percent. Roth there was the classic six, the six pack, right? I mean, yeah, that's the stuff he gravitate to. That's the stuff they were burning through jamming together. I mean, so I think there really was an element of this is this happened for the right reasons now. Going back a few years, 2001, and songs that they may have recorded that we found out on that previous interview with Frankie Meyer. I mean, how that came to be, if that, how that happened, uh, who the hell knows? That's another mystery that we'll be lucky to ever find out.
1: Yeah, the, the first Howard Stern interview with Roth from 96, Roth is saying that Eddie called him, he goes over to Eddie's house, and Eddie didn't tell Alex or anybody else that Roth would be over there, and they were shocked. I don't buy
0: that. I can't believe Eddie wouldn't tell Alex that, that they didn't talk about yeah. it at first. Fir- are you kidding?
1: Well, best friends. And Alex was, I think, running the Van Halen ship. We, usually the most creative person in a band is not making the business decisions. It's, it's a delegated not. concept. I mean, Ingve Malmsteen is making the decisions, but that's a different story. <laughs> right. <laughs> So I, I, I'm now going through more and more and more of this archival stuff and watching and reading and, and listening because of the algorithm. I'm hoping one day uh, just somebody from the camp just really corrects history. Otherwise, I think that this legacy is, is going to be tarnished by the lack of documentation, by the lack of peak uh, materials released when the, when the band was at their peak and by the lack of like trying to make the fans happy. I don't know if it's so much
0: tarnished. I think, you know, I think especially after Eddie's death, I think there's just, you tend to look back on things with mostly rose colored glasses. Right. And for the, for what, even though in the totality of all the years they were together, there was not a huge body of work most of that body of work was just so extraordinary and explosive. And especially those first couple hours albums were just so groundbreaking. I think maybe that ends up winning the day here. And I, and I, and we don't find out all the details. This is the one time I, I always say this on so many episodes. I don't necessarily want to see behind the curtain. I don't want to see my hero
1: stumble. Okay. Maybe I don't want that. But if there's a show from Cincinnati from 1982, Oh, sure. that stuff. Yes. I mean,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, as far <laughs> as the stuff we don't know that we proc- that we speculate on and all that. I mean, yeah. so I, maybe when Wolfie's 50, he writes the, uh, the autobiography. I don't know. But uh, at least we will. I'm I don't expect ever to be a full accounting, a full official accounting from anybody. And one quarter of, the, of that of that one quarter of that contingent is sadly gone for good
1: yeah so i mean and we
0: already know a lot when you think of it we do know a lot to, to a degree certainly certainly from the sam years with sammy's book and 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 he's you know never shied away from a microphone ever and
1: uh <laughs> it, I mean, so, except when it's me trying to put the microphone in his, <laughs> then he shies but, away
0: from it but to his credit though he always uh he's always Warts and all, especially with his book, I think, was very forthcoming in 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 it was it one side of the story, of course. Was it a differing story? Probably possibly. Was it one person's opinion or 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 uh, or version of the events at hand and how they saw it, of course. But still, we got something from a, that, from a person there
1: that is true. And I'm sure there was a Michael Anthony book deal on the table at some point. Why he never took it, that's a different story. Or do you remember how when he rejoined for the 2004 reunion, he had to sign away his rights to everything? Was part of that a you will not write a book about us?
0: I don't know. He doesn't seem like to me to be someone who would write a book. He's not a dirty laundry kind of guy.
1: No. A book
0: tends almost to be kind of a a bit – there's a little bit of revenge. I'm going to set the story straight. Uh, burn all the br- burn what left other bridges that people try to burn behind me behind me
1: right right um. and he
0: doesn't strike me as being that way at all i think that he's very oh, zen yeah. with what happened and i certainly it, i think it would be easy for any of us to say well i wouldn't have signed my rights away but i think in the bigger picture of things for the reunion for sammy i mean he's a team guy he did it for the team he took it for the team unfortunately cost him a tremendous amount of money
1: yeah, it, it's a shame when you only have $23 million instead of $38 million. It's such I a, guess. <laughs> I just made up numbers there, but you know what I mean. Right, right, right. Like, when, once you're over a certain amount, I'm sure it's if you have some logic behind you, you go, oh, you know what? That extra amount wouldn't actually do anything for me. That's what what I can imagine that his reasoning for signing away the 1984 stuff was, and then again, the 2000.
0: But I think you're also at peace and there's a real sense of security if you don't feel the need to, to quote unquote, set any kind of record straight. Yeah. Anybody else would have jumped in front of a microphone yeah. and would have said, fuck that. I played every note. There was no videotaping. Would it, do you know? And
1: Yeah.
0: Sometimes saying nothing at all speaks the loudest.
1: I'm with you. Uh, hey, you, you teased the Frankie Lindia thing up top right there. <laughs> And it was great speaking with Frankie a while back and getting in the episode. But since that interview, interview, he joined the Atomic Punks.
0: Coming full circle. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, this is the it used to be you go from the Atomic Punks to David Lee Roth's band. And now it's you go from David Lee Roth's band to the Atomic Punks.
0: Apparently it's a gig.
1: (laughs) And oh, it's a great gig. A when great you think gig. about it, that's a, that's a fan base that's super happy to see you. That is practically a full-time job. Uh, that's an audience that wants it the old way as opposed to going like, oh, they used to be better when they blank. That is literally an audience that goes, we only want things that happened between 1978 right. and 1984. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, Frankie's doing that. I'm not sure if he's still working with rat cause rats kind of been on hiatus while Stephen Pierce, has been doing a solo thing.
0: Well, he's done lots of solo stuff. I know he's had, did he have COVID? Did he have some, Yeah. he have a liver issue? I mean, so, and then very recently there was at least I could have swore there was some, I heard some blurbs where they were talking again. I mean, uh, the original guys. So, uh, or Sans Robin, but you know, I mean, for who, you know, rat to be, uh, Pierce A. Martini, uh, Cruciar and Bobby Blotzer. So and that talk about lawsuits about who owned that name and whoever, oh. I mean, so.
1: Yeah. Uh, and overturned lawsuits in the process. Right.
0: So I don't so, know who owns the rights, who's going to go out as what, uh, but it doesn't surprise me that the last version of rat with Frankie Lindia is now on hiatus.
1: Yeah, whatever it is, but, Frankie having that atomic punks gig and the YouTube videos, he plays with other artists. You see him pop up on stuff. Right. Right. Absolutely. Somebody to to keep an eye on. And, uh, speaking of interviews, Durga McBroom, we got a great interview. (laughs) <laughs> let's get to it oh my
0: goodness 30 minutes in this is amazing first off for those who don't know can i give it up if you don't know the name Please. she is the hilarious woman in the convenience store in yankee rose who says "Ooh, not if you were the last immigrant immigrant gross on earth baby and she was in california girls mm-hmm. and she has got a resume a mile long She sang with a ton of people including pink floyd
1: she was in Pink Floyd as a side person, I think longer than anybody else, her and her sister, who is an awesome, awesome talented backing vocalist. But the interesting thing is the three or four music videos she did with Dave. And she talks about another, uh, if you want to call it freelance cake, she had with Dave in the crazy from the heat era. Um, Dave didn't know her as a singer. Dave just knew of her. Isn't that amazing? Actress. Yeah. But meanwhile, she's, for 30, 40 years, been killing it as a backing vocalist, sometimes a lead vocalist. She's had success in her own right throughout Europe.
0: So There's a band called Black Pearl.
1: Yeah, yeah, Blue Pearl. Blue uh, Pearl. Yeah, which had it was her and uh, Flood, a.k.a. Paul McCartney's right-hand man in uh, The Fireman. And I think Flood might have produced, is that the same Flood that did uh, U2 and Nine Inch Nails?
0: Oh, good to, I'm not going to guess here.
1: and blur, I think that that is the same gentleman, but you know the the key is she's one of those people who's always worked and you've heard sing and do all these things, yet it's not the name that you hear with it. yeah, you know, right. You know, it's right. Like, it's like a journeyman baseball player,
0: right, right. Highly competent, excellent skills, excellent professional. And uh, can do multiple things.
1: And gets to walk around. Uh, unperturbed. Um, while. You know. Being on the stage. And in the studio. And sure. on television. And all that. So
0: And she told and she you some great stories.
1: Yeah. I mean. This one only happened. Because somebody left a comment on a prior episode. When you guys should speak to the McBroom sisters. Like, Who? Okay. <laughs> and I looked up and went. Oh, and then as you know, you kind of hear me say during the interview, like, I didn't realize that it was necessarily the same cast of characters that was around for the Picasso Brothers era of Dave.
0: Yeah, and it's the irony is that she that Dave didn't know her as a singer because I can totally hear her voice doing backup vocals on some of the songs on, say, your filthy little mouth where he used some some backup singers.
1: Yeah, so. Her credits also include the Stones, Bowie, you know, just just these little artists. <laughs> right, right. And and so David Lee Roth is like far from her biggest credit, which is pretty incredible because there's a lot of people out there who. Whenever it has their name and then the parentheses of what they've done, David Lee Roth is the first name, I would argue Dave Lee Roth would not be the fifth, sixth, or seventh name in those parentheses for her. She's had that great of a career and continues to. I believe she's on that um, Cruising to the Edge Prague blues cruise coming up soon. Um, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, she's uh, performed with Steve Hackett. Yeah, Steve Hackett from Genesis, another Rock and Roll Hall of Famer who, oh, I don't think I told you this. You know how Van Halen before Roth was br- briefly called Genesis? Yes. I asked Steve Hackett about that. He didn't know that. <laughs> and then uh, I'm not going to do the British accent, but he's, he's like, so what's he up to these days? And I said, well, um, he said he's retired. Um, I'm not sure if he's retired. And he's, and he's like, oh, that's a shame. I would never retire. <laughs> 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 so... You know, I think you speak to to 10 different classic rock icons around the same age, and you get 10 different answers about retirement, goals to accomplish, and so forth. And Steve Hackett, another one of those guys that it's off the radar on how successful that guy is. Like, he's still playing to, like, one to 4,000 people a night in theaters and has been for decades. Like, Genesis was not just, like, the high watermark. I would argue more successful after Genesis.
0: Probably. Sure.
1: I mean, when he was in Genesis, it's not like they were an arena band. Didn't they become an arena band with Phil Collins?
0: Well, maybe weren't they, were they just starting to become an arena band with, at least here in the States with Peter Gabriel, Lamb Lies Down on Broadway or something like that. But of course, then they absolutely blew up. Yeah. Going more of a commercial direction with Phil Collins.
1: Yeah. So, uh, man, I took. At least in the States. I took us way off course, but you Durga did. performed with with Steve Hackett, and my favorite part is Durga explained one of my mysteries during this interview, and I'm not going to say the name. She said the name of who the convenience store clerk from the Yankee Rose video. Yes, is.
0: that was amazing, and <laughs> and his connection to Dave.
1: Yeah, that that is something that I tried to post on a Facebook group uh, with the still shot and going. Who is this guy? I've been trying to track him down. And one person said Eugene Levy. And you're like, no. <laughs> <"Whoa."> <laughs> no. Close. Turns and, out he's a big SCTV fan. <laughs> I know. He doesn't look like, maybe he looks more like early Larry David from like Fridays, like before. Friday. Uh, what was that? What was the, the Saturday Night Live knockoff show that Michael Richards was on? Friday's. I think it was Fridays. Yeah. Maybe Larry David in that era of Fridays, but not Eugene Levy. No, I don't think so. <laughs> so she answered that. So at the very least, great stories aside, including one about little people. Um, she answered that mystery. So forever thankful to Durga.
0: It's a good one. It's a good one. We think you'll enjoy it. We sure we definitely did
1: <laughs> Yeah, further down that rabbit hole. But, you know, more interviews to come, more people we are trying to talk with, you know, status quo. Right.
0: Hey, you know, who I'd love to talk to. And this is just we got some fan mail this week, uh, a listener by the name of Dennis. And uh, he was going through some episodes. And thank you for listening to Download Dennis. He mentions Joe Holmes. I guess we mentioned Joe Holmes on a couple episodes ago. Yeah. Uh, and he would be somebody I would be kind of cool to talk to. And I don't know what he's been up to uh the last few years but Dennis sent us a couple links I want to check out but um and uh, <clears throat> and also this person mentioned like you that he uh, had hotel reservations for New Year's Day and yeah. tickets as well so uh but thanks for the thanks for the fan mail keep it coming here to the DLRcast at outlook.com and we might have to add Joe Holmes to that list if we can f- find him and talk about that time he spent with Dave
1: You know what I I'll pull the curtain back here I found Joe's phone number Tried texting him, no response. Found a couple email addresses, <laughs> no response. And um, his a couple of Facebook messages, no response. I think he came back in a public way when he did that Pharmacos record in, 20, yes. in 2017. He did like the Eddie Trunk interview, The he did his like four or five interviews and then kind of went away. And it's such a mystery because. He was Roth's guy. He replaced Jason Becker technically. Yeah. He was in Ozzy's band for a bit in the mid nineties. He had some other credits and sometimes when somebody has those gigs and goes away, you go like, did they leave music or are they playing in a cover band and giving guitar lessons and earning money that way? You just don't, you don't know, like where did yeah. these people go? And it's such a shame because for a guy to be able to play the Ozzy catalog and the Roth and Van Halen catalogs, he's clearly a a genius, a musical genius.
0: Yeah. Well, I know that Pharmacos thing came up in 2015 was when he resurfaced again around that. But then I'm not sure what he's done since then.
1: Yeah. It's kind of like that. There's this class of guitar god that just disappeared for decades. There's there's Jakey Lee who reemerged for Red Dragon Cartel. Mm-hmm. Had and a bunch so, a bunch
0: of guest stars on that record, including Robin Zander on his on the first record.
1: Yeah. But you go like, hey Jake, where were you from nineteen ninety to twenty fifteen? Like what were you doing? Yeah. And Vinnie Vincent is <laughs> forever on that list.
0: Well, Vinny Vincent's resurfaced in some weird ways and apparently is resurfacing again this year. You got you got Vito Brada, who's maybe the yeah. most famous one on that list, who apparently gave up guitar altogether and just did something else with his life.
1: Yeah. I'm sure we could rack our brains and think more and more and more <laughs> about <laughs> these hidden guitar gods. But yeah. I would love to get Joe Holmes. But um, I have a feeling if I do three more reach outs that there will be a knock on my door. There, there will be a restraining order. <laughs> so if somebody knows Joe Holmes, tell him we mean no harm. We're just <laughs> to a good story and, and tell him that Joey Allen likes us. Joey Allen from warrant likes us. Cause Joe Holmes likes Joey Allen.
0: Well, I'll tell you, it's perfectly okay if you. I totally understand if you don't want to talk about this stuff. Sometimes you just, yeah, you, change a scenery, a change of venue, lifestyle changes. People have families; they change, they move on. I mean, from where where we sit as fans, you can't imagine ever giving this up ever, right? If you got two arms, yeah. you can still play guitar. But listen, it's not for everybody.
1: And, and Joe is not the only guitarist from that era to kind of goes silent um i've reached out to steve hunter a number of times and it goes through his wife and she basically says like steve is only doing one interview a year where he'll talk about roth and he just did his a month ago so sorry you know yeah steve's not so happy about dave and you know we had the pleasure of speaking with rocket rocket did not seem so enthused to talk about the dave days of his life so you know, I think I, we're, there's some sleeping dogs are not letting live. Perhaps I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, another person that I tried to get was Todd Jensen. He said, hey, um, 30 years of working on and off with Dave, uh, not allowed to talk about this. So I think we kind of have three columns. We have the people that we might get one day, the people that never want to hear the name Bailey Roth again, and the people who are under non disclosures So you know, I, th-
0: I think if we ever <laughs> do get Dave on this, which I which I don't ever expect us to do, but that'll be our final episode. Yeah. And that'll be it. That's all folks. (laughs) Take care. We're closing the book or maybe we'll do two episodes breaking down our interview with Dave.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll get some really good anecdotes about folk dancing from the 1940s in Nigeria. And we'll (laughs) have to dissect. (laughs) I I think that one day if we run low on content, putting this out into the world, we will have to do a three-part episode where we dissect the first Joe Rogan interview. And we look for the clues that he buried in that episode about what was going to happen in life.
0: Man. <laughs> Don't.
1: <laughs> Don't tempt you. I got it. Well, <laughs> the, the bottom line, no pun intended is no, it's always great connecting with you and everybody who's listening. And hopefully we can still get more meat off the metaphorical bone When it comes to Diamond David Lee Roth.
0: Always trying. If there's not news, we'll, 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 if there's not news to break, we'll find some news to break. I, I guess there's, there's a catchphrase in there somewhere.
1: Exactly. But no, thanks to you for, for assembling these episodes and making it all happen, Steve.
0: Right. Hey, you're making it happen. You're the one finding the Durga McBrooms of the world. And uh uh who knows. We've we've got we've got some a few in the can. We've got a few more, uh we got some good ones upcoming. So
1: we, we've got a few more before we start to find Dave's optometrist.
0: We will not rest until we get all 39 former members of the various David Lee Roth solo bands.
1: <laughs> there are more of them out there. Uh, for example, Chris Frazier, who was the drummer before Bissonette, like, oh, come on. It depends on how deep you want to go. Jesus. If, if you want to get Jeff Bova, who played keyboard on two or three songs on Eat em and Smile, like, it depends on how deep we're taking this.
0: Jeez, oh, I think we've gone deep enough, my friend.
1: <laughs> uh, what's the line on A Different Kind of Truth? Uh, you want to know how deep... How,
0: how deep does that rabbit hole go?
1: <laughs> we don't know it yet, but it, it keeps going. So on that note. <laughs> well, thanks as to always, folks, thanks to Steve. thanks,
0: thanks for, for downloading. Thanks for streaming. Shoot us a line at the DLRcast at Outlook.com. I know we're still on Twitter there as well somewhere. DM us directly if you got some news or, or you got a good story to tell. And thanks as always.
1: Thanks and sorry.
0: <laughs> Take
1: care. You're dialing in from Italy? Yes. When did you move to Italy?
2: Uh, well, I first moved to Italy in uh, 2017. Uh, I was one of those people, you know, all these people when um, Lord Voldemort got elected. <laughs> people were like, he was running. People were like saying, if he wins, I'm going to leave the country. And um, I did. You I, did. I
1: said, you, uh, you did what Alec Baldwin uh, promised.
2: Yeah, no, I did. I mean, I've been thinking about it anyway, um, because, uh, well, sadly, in 2015, my husband passed away. Right. And before he did, uh, I was traveling. I would limit my tours to one month at a time. So I wasn't away from him for very long also because he wasn't that well um, near the end there. Uh, And then once he was gone, I was going three, four months at a time out and uh, dragging my bags with me. And I was working over here mostly. And if I had like a gap of a week or something, I had to pay to stay somewhere. And it just one day I was sitting at a little restaurant in Trastevere in my favorite neighborhood. And I thought to myself, could I live here? And I said, yeah. So Trump got elected and that was that. (laughs) <laughs> like he got elected in November and uh i think it was march the 1st of uh 2017 i i arrived wow well yeah
1: you have not slowed down career wise in decades like when i look at the credits <laughs> it's just like big name after big name after big name for for decades When did you know that this was gonna be a career and not just like, I hope this gig leads to that gig?
2: Well, um, I actually started as an actress. So I was a theater arts major at UCLA. Mm -hmm. And um, I left and within six months was cast in Flashdance, which then led rapidly downhill. (laughs) I always started at the top and then that way. Uh, And I played a lot of hookers and prison inmates. Although, oh, little interesting tidbit. Uh, I did an episode of of Hunter. Uh, Remember that TV show? Yeah. And I played your, you know, typical uh, black hooker on the host role in Hollywood. And the guy who was the killer on the show was so creepy that nobody on set wanted to talk to him. And... Uh, we had to, like, kind of hit him up and try to get him to pick us up. But he was interested in the English girl who he went and murdered. And years later, I found out I was acting opposite Gary Sinise.
1: Wow.
2: Dude, I was like, when I was like, what? Wait a minute. Because I found, I finally, thank God for the internet. Because I finally found the episode on, um, <laughs> what's it on? Amazon Prime. And I was like, well, I'll be damned. No wonder he was so good. Because wow. it was Gary Sinise.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And that was 10, 12 years before Forrest
2: Gump. Yeah. 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 Wow. uh, So he's one of those like really method immersive actors where he just did not break character the whole night. And he was playing a fucking serial killer. So it's like, yeah, you you stay the fuck over there. Okay. And I'll just, you know, so that's what I was like anyway.
1: When people bother you and say, I want to interview you, I'm sure they they start with the Pink Floyd questions and the Rolling Stones questions. That's not where I'm going. I said... I know where you're going. <laughs> I said, she was in the first three Dave Lee
2: Roth videos. Uh, how the hell did that happen? Well, it's funny. Um, it was just one of those kismet things. Well, partially kismet and partially because Dave likes me. <laughs> so, uh I was sitting in my apartment and the TV, I was watching MTV or something, and mm-hmm. Hot for Teacher was on. Mm-hmm. And I was watching it and I was thinking to myself, you know, I really like Van Halen. No, you know, I really like Dave. David Lee Roth is just a force of nature and he's mm-hmm. hot. So, As the video was fading on my television, I kid you not, my phone rang and it was my agent saying I had an audition for California girls. And so I went in and I auditioned and it was supposed to be a non-union shoot. They wanted to cast me, but it was a non-union shoot. But then, so my agent was like, oh, well, that's too bad. And then they called me back five minutes later saying, you know what? They don't care that you're union. They're going to pay you union rates. They want you in the video. So um, that's when I first met Dave. Wow. Okay. Now,
1: before I forget this question, you might be able to help me solve a mystery here. The convenience store clerk who you tell off in the Yankee Rose video. You? I don't know his name and no one knows.
2: Say it again. Jerry Persigian, I think, is his name. Persigian—that's the I screenwriter think... who co-wrote the Crazy from yeah. the Heat screenplay. That's absolutely correct. Who
1: like wrote for you Mad about that? you and all that? That yeah. same Jerry. Yeah, yeah, that's him. Oh, m- that leads to so many <laughs> damn questions. Now, when you're acting against him in the Yankee Rose video is the kind of thing where there's one camera just filming you or you actually facing him.
2: Well, usually what they'll do is they'll shoot, you know, one way. And uh, like, if they're shooting him, was that Jerry? Yeah, that was Jerry. Yeah, that was Jerry. And then there was the other guy who played the, the one with the, the um, with the two chicks with the one with the under move showing. I yeah. his name.
1: That was Pete Angelus, his manager for yeah,
2: a few years. Pete Angelus, that's right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's why if there's any compensation, I don't gotta be involved. Forget about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So anyway, so usually what they'll do is, you know, they'll shoot the person they're focusing on, and whoever they're acting opposite will be off camera feeding them the lines. And then they'll switch the setup to get the other person. So that's how that works,
1: usually. And you have a line that people are still quoting. Like, I, I, I don't fancy you a professional wrestling fan, but any chance you are or were a professional wrestling fan? No. Okay. Well, there's a wrestler who was on WWE for years who just out of nowhere quoted the, like, uh, give me a bottle of anything and a glazed donut to go. Quoted yeah. that. Like like that, and people all the time say that. W- w- were your lines from the Yankee Rose video regularly said to you for years?
2: As a matter of fact, um, when was it? I think it was twenty. Was it twenty twenty or twenty nineteen? I usually go back to LA for the Nam Show every year, which is usually in January or February. The NAM show is the big musicians trade show and it's yes. the big schmooze fest and all that. And the band from uh, Dave's band, everybody but Dave came yeah. to play. Um, Greg Bissonette and- um, Toggle um, and Five. Levi, yeah. all that. And I was there and I saw them. And they're like, Durga, oh my God, you're here. You gotta come up on stage and say it. And so, um, 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 Billy, the, the bass player, Billy, um, Billy Sherman, she Yeah. Uh, he, he led me up on stage and he goes in the mic and he goes, Our lips are so close. <laughs> and I went, <laughs> oh, not if he was the last immigrant Rosa on earth, honey. And everyone went, Ah, oh, they lost it. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: Wow. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm I'm saying wow a lot because this is stuff I've not heard before. <laughs> and like, you know how if you were Jay Leno, you you pre-interview and you have yeah. like what the person's gonna say in the note card, you go, oh really? That's interesting. That's interesting. Right. But you knew it, I've never heard any of this before. <laughs>
2: so- well, I've got more. I've got more. So in that video, I'm wearing a dress. It was uh-huh. custom made to me. It's like a dress covered with flowers that were basically sewn or glued onto a corset. It was like really tight, um, gorgeous dress. And originally the outfit had a hat, a wide brimmed hat that was like three, four feet across. It, it, and uh, it had a big like purple wig ponytail coming out of the top, but it weighed about 8 million pounds now. Uh, that dress was made for me for the Crazy from the Heat movie.
1: Oh, so, I was supposed to be in it. So that's another mystery right there. Okay, so yeah. you were supposed to be in that, not just these music videos.
2: That's right. Uh, and unfortunately, that project never came to fruition. And when we, when they were, uh, um, you know, trying to dress on me and the whole outfit, it was so heavy that it was hurting my neck. <laughs> Sorry, right uh, and Dave came in And he said You know she's so beautiful Why do we got to put all that crap on her Just you know Take the hat off And uh, so That's why I wound up wearing my own hair In that scene
1: Okay Now, a rep- I'll tell
2: you another good thing You don't know uh, okay. So what when you- uh, When the album was coming out Dave had a big listening party Mm -hmm. and he wanted to invite all the music execs from the different labels and blah, blah, blah. So they hired me. (laughs) Um, When I'm in heels, like I had these uh, five inch spike heels, just the nastiest, you know, dirty girl shoes. Uh, And I had this dress, I still have it. Uh, It's made of black fishnet, basically. Uh, And the only thing covering my unmentionables is like a little bandeau strip of woven satin ribbon that's really thin across my boobs and my waist area, and it laces up the back. So it's just filthy dress. And that, I also had a big hat, but this was made of lace, so it was very light. Um, They hired me to wear that, leading two midgets on a chain with a whip and they were covered with like gauze and duct tape and crap all over their faces. And so they would let me into these music executives offices because the receptionist or whatever was in on it. And these guys, one of them would have the invitation in his mouth and I would like whip them over to the table. I'm six foot. I was going to say, I'm six foot three in these shoes. Okay. Sure. So six foot three of like, brick shithouse black chick leading two midgets on a chain with a whip and these guys would be on the phone talking to somebody you know you know blah 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 rca records big mucky my Muck, blah, blah 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 And here i come in so these little people were coming in they'd just be growling and, just, and drop the invitation on their desk and the guy would be like on the phone with his mouth wide open and i'd say David would really love it if you attended. Have a great day. Lead him out. It was hilarious. I went to like 20 offices like this. It was so funny.
1: <laughs> oh, Okay. Now I, I have to ask, like, I have two topics ahead. But the first thing I have to ask is you have such a unique vocal style, you and your sister, and you've worked with all these great artists. And your vocal style, it sounds like you two on the skyscraper album by Roth on a song called the bottom line. And if it's not you,
2: it's copycats. Was that It's something? not? It's okay. not. I'm really mad that David never hired me as a singer. And I always told him he should have, especially when he did his, you know, one of his Vegas residencies. But no, he never did.
1: Yeah, So that's a thing I'm super curious about. You mentioned at the top, you start off as an actress before you found all this fame and success. As a singer with top artists touring the world for decades, still doing it at the high level with Blue Pearl and Steve Hackett, etc. Yes. But Dave didn't know you as a singer.
2: No, nope. because when he met me, I was still just mostly acting. Uh, and then I, you know, I didn't see him for a long time. I, I did the the um, California Girls, and then Just a Gigolo, and mm-hmm. that was really um and then
1: you did i saw
2: i'm sorry
1: yankee roses like a year or so after that
2: yeah i'm trying to remember but then uh and then i saw him then i moved to england also to that's when i was doing blue pearl and all that kind of stuff and i saw him there because he did a show um he kind of like had a thing for me. Well, we kind of think for each other. Let's put it that way. But when he came to London, I had a boyfriend and uh, we came to the show and I think he was a little jealous. So, um, yeah, I didn't really see him much after that. <laughs> but no, he didn't. I didn't know me as a singer when we were hanging out because it was after that that I really started getting into music.
1: Hmm. So he all, he didn't know your sister at all?
2: No. Although she was in, she was in um, just a gigolo in the scene in the audience when he was doing Dave TV. Oh, Oh, she was in the audience. But I was in the hallway when he was dancing through with all the cast of characters and I'm dancing in one spot and the camera pans by me at one point. But when they would stop the take and go to reset to do another take. He'd come over and hang over by me, and we were just joking and cracking, and it the jokes just got filthy and wrong because that's we're both like. Dave's birthday is ten days before mine. He's a Libra male. I'm a Libra female, so we have a lot in common.
1: <laughs> so you just uh, shattered what my myth or, or assumption was which was that dave is a big pink floyd fan and that's how you figured into the whole thing because he was supposed to no. do his third full-length album with bob Ezrin, and that didn't work out and there's been some other loose ties to floyd over the years so it's just a coincidence
2: no god I, I did california girls way before floyd i think
1: well, i i think what you joined floyd in 86 87 and california girls was 85
2: yeah, exactly. So that was before.
1: That was before. Okay. Yeah, I did a
2: lot of videos back in the early 80s.
1: A lot of them. Yeah, Janet Jackson, Eurythmics, Bowie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when exactly did it transition from full-time actress to singer?
2: Floyd, that was actually, I mean, I had started singing in some little bands and I had done like a couple of gigs and some tiny little clubs in LA that had, um, a capacity of maybe like 400. And then I went to New York to sing with my sister on her album. Mm-hmm. Um, cause she was recording an album on Capitol records and now Rogers was producing it. And while I was there, Pink Floyd were looking for some extra singers for the live concert videos as Dave David Gilmore put it, he wanted to add some color. So, uh, <laughs> the, the guy who ran the production company shooting the videos was a friend of Lorelei's, my sister's. And so, we flew us to Atlanta, and suddenly I'm in front of 15,000 people. And I never looked back. That was, I was like, yeah, I could this this. Because I had, was getting kind of burnt out on the roles, because back in the early to mid 80s, Black actresses, especially um, darker-skinned like myself, we were constantly cast as as hookers and prison inmates. Basically, mm-hmm. you know, all the stereotypes were in play. In fact, literally, when I auditioned for Flashdance, they uh, when when I read for um, Adrian Line, the director, who's lovely to work for and just a, such an underrated director, in my opinion, I think he's amazing. Um, He just had me be myself. But when I went in to read for Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer. Oh. The producers. Yeah. You've heard about Don. Yeah. Don, Don, his
1: legacy that he left behind is not the cleanest. He uh, had, he started his career in the nineties. Things would have been a little different.
2: Mm, Yeah, probably. (laughs) Yeah. He was not anyway um I, i'm gonna tell you something about Don in a minute but when i went in to read for them first of all they made me dance for them in a leotard in their office i'm like so amazed in hindsight that i wasn't asked to do more than that i'm shocked actually um but when i came in to read for them after having read with adrian and just speaking in my normal voice and all that they pulled straight up stereotypical hollywood shuffle have you you know the movie I'm talking about? Oh yeah! It literally said, um, "Can you be more street, dude?" I fucking grew up in Malibu, okay. <laughs> I'm like a beach chick, okay, and I lived in Encino, okay. So I was like in the valley on the beach. So, I don't know. so yeah, I had I had me grow it up for him, Really. You know, yeah. and uh, so that got tiring, and um, not only. Uh, did this opportunity present itself where I was asked to join the Pink Floyd tour. But then after the first tour, uh, all the people in the band were telling me if I moved to England, I would explode. You know, I'd get a lot of work as a singer. So coincidentally, one of the last movies I ever shot, um, (coughs) I got double booked. Um, I got cast in Predator 2. And I got cast in a film called In the Eye of the Serpent, which nobody ever saw, starring Malcolm McDowell and um, Lois Childs, who's a Bond girl, Dr. Uh, Holly Goodhead. I think was her name? And she was also in Death on the Nile. Uh, sure. Anyway, and it was shooting in Africa for six weeks. So it was like three day shoot playing a hooker in the police station in Predator 2. Sorry, Danny Glover, I'm going to Africa for six weeks. I had three shooting days in six weeks in Africa. Hell yeah. And they're paying me. What? Uh, yeah. So I went there on my way, moving to London. Um, and moving to London was a great move. And that's when I started Blue Pearl.
1: With Yes. You. Blue Pearl, another success story. And before I you know, ask about that and what is going on right now, there's Dave Roth, David Bowie, David Gilmore, a lot of, Famous Daves that that kept the work coming.
2: It's kind of a common name, so yeah. <laughs> Inevitable. It's not coincidence. It's just a common name. Well <laughs> uh, David anyway. Bowie, by the way. I will say this. David Bowie is one or was, God rest his soul, one of the nicest, most gracious human beings mm-hmm. I ever my entire life so sweet and so humble i mean we were shooting his video uh the choreographer because you know he did the whole thing on roller skates mm-hmm. and the choreographer for the video was a friend of mine because i danced in a lot of videos so i knew him from something else and uh we were standing there uh, really talking between takes and david comes sauntering over and goes hello i'm david and i'm like thinking uh it's your video. Uh yeah, I know who you are. But he was just so down to earth, so lovely. Um I was really gutted when he left us. But um uh from the sublime to the ridiculous, I was gonna tell you something about Don Simpson. Please. So you remember um Sunny, the, the blonde girl who, who played um Jeannie, um Alex's friend, you know, mm-hmm. the blonde girl hater. Sonny uh, Johnson was a sweet young girl. I think she was only, well, we were all in utero. I mean, I had my 19th birthday on that set. Jennifer turned 18 while we were shooting, Jennifer Beals. And Sonny, I think, was 20. Um, she had a phobia. I mean, she was terrified of guns. And she made the mistake of letting Don find out about it. So one day he comes to the set, walks up to her, pulls a 357 Magnum out of his pocket, points it at her crotch and pulled the trigger. And it wasn't loaded, of course. And then just laughed hysterically. He thought that was so funny. Let's just say when, when he left, when he shuffled off this mortal coil, I didn't shed a tear.
1: Yeah, he's on that list of... Uh, every stereotype about the Hollywood producer is exactly that, unfortunately. And, and thankfully, you've survived all of that for a beautiful career. So we, where we brought up to was you moved to England at the advice yeah. of the Floyd people. Blue mm-hmm. Pearl happened. Ultimately, you wound up three, four years ago moving to Italy. But have you consistently been... Did you go back to LA uh, between England and Italy?
2: Yes, I did. Um, I moved back to LA in ninety. 90- no, first after London. Well, first of all, Pink Floyd did the the iconic show in live in Venice, mm-hmm. and um, Youth was a school friend of Guy Pratt, who was the bassist in Pink mm-hmm. Floyd, of course, and he came to that show and he came to me and he said, uh, wow, man, I really like your voice. I'd like to make you a star. And uh, I said, okay. And so the first song we ever wrote was Naked in the Rain, which went to number four in the British pop charts. And you know, anyway. So um, the last Floyd tour that I did was the, the Division Bell tour, which was released later as Pulse, you know, live. Right. And then in 95, I moved to Miami because I didn't want to come back to L.A. I got really burnt on L.A. for a minute. And uh, so I moved to Miami for a couple of years, which kind of was stupid. But anyway, uh, I moved back to L.A. in 97. And was there until. Well, no. I was there from 97, and then my mother passed away in 2004. So 2005, I moved to Hawaii. That's where I met my husband, and we were there uh, until 2008. Um, Yeah, then we came back to California. I was in Big Sur for a while. Um, And then I moved back down. We moved down to L.A. eventually. That is all over the world
1: <laughs> in the in the best of possible ways it sounds like that you've you've been able to make a living and at the same time leave that you know compound then go wherever for months at a time then come back and then a couple of years later go I'm gonna try living there so Italy uh-huh. is that the plan for the, the rest of life if you can
2: well I'd like to live between here and LA. I still have a place in LA. In fact, um, my nephew's living there right now, (laughs) which is nice. And, uh, I have some other plans in the works for my forever home. Um, fingers crossed. I I, I believe it. I I like, I like it here. I, I, um, I have a feeling that my next husband will be Italian, (laughs) but COVID just threw such a monkey wrench into everything. I had really built up a momentum. I was touring a lot. I was booking shows all over the world. And then COVID just, I actually was back in LA um, when it hit. And I, I, first of all, my roommate there suddenly moved out. And then when I was looking for a new one, lockdown hit. So I basically got stuck back in LA, uh, from December of 2019 until, uh, August of 2021. And, um, it's all worked out and, um, but coming back here, getting my career started again, my touring career has been really difficult because COVID is still persisting. And, uh, and then on top of everything else, the first big tour that I was supposed to do since December of 2019 was supposed to start in May. Guess where that was? Russia. So um, that's not happening. <laughs> and uh, I'm kind of, you know, I'm slowly starting to book stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna be doing um Rozfest, which is a big prog rock festival. Uh, I'll be, in the all-star band with Dave Kirstner on April the 17th. And then Lorelai and I are finally doing the rescheduled cruise to the edge, which is a big prog rock cruise out of Florida. Also that's May 2nd to the 7th. So but you know, it's just I was I was really building and building and getting my fees up too. And because I manage myself, mm-hmm. I'm constantly having to haggle with these promoters who, it's, it's still difficult as a woman to mm-hmm. be given the respect that I deserve. Um, so it's constant haggling and fighting and people trying to say, well, we can't give you. And I'm like, look, this is what my fee is. And if you guys don't argue with guys. Why are you arguing with me? Resume. See this? <laughs> this See this? Yeah. Record sales platinum albums. I'm on these. Why are you arguing with me? Right (laughs) know. but and now, of course, with COVID and all that, they have an even better excuse. Well, you know, the the capacities for the venues are are limited, so we can only pay you. And I'm like, bitch, I made that. uh, I made more than that 10 years ago. Are you kidding me? So
1: it's been tough. I can only imagine. Fortunately, things here in New York are are back. Um, hopefully for the long term, Vegas looks like it is back. Um yeah. so it, you know, things seem like they'll be back soon. The cruises are happening for the most part. So the, yeah. the best way to follow the latest and the greatest from you is it the social media, is it the website, or is it both?
2: it's both. Okay. Um but uh just a little shout out if anybody sees this and they're looking for vocals that's one thing that i've started doing a lot that sustains me here um in fact let's see if you can see uh Uh, the
1: the vocal setup
0: yeah i'm doing